0: Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, this Psalm 103 is David in his older age, probably reflecting upon what God has done for him all of his life long. Even as a young boy, even up until the time when he was the king and how God had always provided for him. But David is reflecting upon specifically the forgiveness that we have received as the people of God, as those who fear The Lord. David must have been reflecting upon that time with the sin of Bathsheba, and then he speaks about what happened to him in Psalm 32, as we read this morning, and that he was under the hand of God, the heavy hand of God, and he was all dried up within within sight of himself. He had no vitality and no desire to worship the Lord, but then he confessed his sin to the Lord, and he was forgiven. And David had great thanksgiving that he then extended to the Lord for such a wondrous forgiveness that God has given to him. This is a hymn, a psalm of thanks that the godly render to the Lord. I think what you find here is David remembering, and then as he remembers, he reflects. And then as he reflects, He begins to rejoice. Remember, reflect, and rejoice. Now, one of the problems that we have is that in our remembering certain things, it doesn't go any farther than that. Or any further than that, should I say. It it remains right there. And what we ought to be doing is reflecting upon it, which would mean meditation, meditation upon it. A thinking upon it. A remembering what God has done for us as His people. That's what we do when we come to the Lord's table. We remember the Lord's Supper. We remember the work of Christ. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? We're remembering the work of Christ in that He broke His body and His blood was shed for our forgiveness that he was one who underwent the wrath of God in our place, that the wrath of God would never then come upon us. We were those that received the benediction, the good word of God, the blessing of God, because Christ received the cursing of God. And we are those that remember that. And as we remember it and we begin to reflect upon that, meditate upon that, roll it around in your mind, That's the, the Hebrew word hagah. it's just mutter it, utter it, speak it, ponder it to yourself. Something happens within us as we begin reflecting upon this, meditating upon that truth. The Holy Spirit begins to work within us in a greater way as we meditate upon the Word of God. This is a psalm of meditation, as it were. David is remembering God's goodness towards him. And as he remembers and reflects upon it, he starts to well up in in rejoicing and singing. Because that's what theology does, beloved. The deeper you go in theology, the deeper you go in the things of God, the higher you come up in doxology, in praise and adoration to God, in singing to Him. Well, why don't we have a lot of high doxology today? Because I think we have a lot of low theology today. We don't have much digging deep into the things of God. And because we don't, there is not a high praise and doxology of our God. That's to the shame of the church. We are the ones that ought to be trumpeting the glory of God, the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the justice of God. We are to be those that are alike to the nation. We ought to be a distinct people. Not just simply on the Lord's Day when we gather together, but the other six days of the week as you're living your life. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus speaks about the love that we are to have for one another. John 13. He says, In this way all men will know you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Is that seen much in our day? Is the kindness, the love, the fruit of the Spirit, does it flow through many who name the name of Christ today? Do you see it? Is it distinct? Is it separate from the world? Is it something uncommon? I mean, how many have won others to the Lord Jesus Christ by their godly walk. How many of you have had people come to you and ask you about your life? Because you know what? You're different. You talk different. You behave in a different manner. What's up with you? How many of you had that happen to you in your life? And if not, why not? Are we not distinct? Are we not an an other kind of people? Are we not a peculiar people? That's what we are called to be. And so when we begin reflecting and meditating, the rejoicing begins to come. Beloved, when you begin to think about your sins, and even as a believer in Christ and how you have broken the commandments of God, even as in the prayer this morning, you haven't kept any of the commandments. I haven't kept any of the commandments. You haven't loved God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I have not loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You might deceive yourself, and you might think that you've loved God in this way with all your heart. You have not. We've loved ourselves on more occasions than we've demonstrated our love towards God. Again, I think, just like I said, with the the ten lepers, we're like the nine. We receive the benefits of God, and we rush away as quick as we can to tell everybody else about, hey, I'm healed, but we stop and we forget to give thanks to God. We love the benefits. But do we not love the benefactor? Do we not love the one who gives the benefits? Do we not love the one who supplies the gifts? Do we not even take the time to give God thanks? You notice in that text that Jesus makes a point of saying, is there only one who returned to give thanks to God? I think drawing a straight line right back to the Word of God again. Not being filled with the Word of God is the systemic problem in the life of Christians. When I am not filled with the Word of God, then I live my life according to the default mode, which is the ways of the world. If I am not living in accordance with the teaching of God's Word, then I am living in accordance with my personal preferences, with my likes and my pleasures and my wants and my desires. It's about me, isn't it? And what happens when we are filled with the Word of God, we are putting off the old and putting on the new. There is a more and more desire to live in accordance with the teaching of God's Word for the glory of God. And then there is much thanks that is given. The worship of God, the service of God, recognizing I am not my own, I have been bought with a price, and therefore I am to glorify God in my body and my soul, which belong to God. He has purchased me body and soul to be His own. There's great comfort in being a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we live in a day where we're so afraid to offend anybody. We have removed the slave language from the Scripture. But that is exactly what doulos means. It means slave. We are slaves bought and purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. To serve Him, beloved. That's why you're not your own. You belong to Him. He bought you with His precious blood. And so we are to serve Him. David, as we turn to our text, notice, again, as I said, he is one who is remembering the forgiveness that God has granted to him. And he says that. He says in verse 10, uh, he has not dealt with us according to our sins. Now, let's reflect on this for a moment. The wages of sin is death. That death that is spoken of there is not simply temporal death. Not just that the body dies. It's more than that. It is eternal death. Because when you really begin to reflect upon the teaching of Scripture, you know that every person that has been born into this world is created, not inherently, but is created immortal. Everybody lives forever. The question is address, the question is location. Where do you live? Do you spend eternity in the new heavens, in the new earth, wherein righteousness dwells, or do you spend eternity in the lake of fire, where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched, and God's wrath is unleashed, His justice is unleashed against those in the lake of fire forever. Everybody lives forever. The second death. Spiritual death. This is what we deserve. You earned it. You have violated all the commandments of God, and I have as well. And God has not given us what our sins deserve. Now let me ask you this. Are you trusting in the only Savior, Jesus? You are not trusting the only Savior, Jesus, if you put me and Jesus or Jesus plus something else. If you are looking to anything that you have done, even your believing in Jesus Christ, you are not trusting in Jesus Christ. God doesn't give you faith in your faith. He gives you faith by the working of the Holy Spirit to believe, to trust in the only Savior, Jesus. You remember the illustration of the tightrope walker. Down and back in a wheelbarrow. Looks at the people in the crowd. They were astonished that he was able to take the wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And he came back and looked at one of the men in the crowd and said, do you believe I am able to do this? And the man said, yes. I just saw you. And he said, get in the wheelbarrow. And the man replied, not on your life. There's no way. I am getting in that. Well, then you don't really believe, do you? You see, that's the difficulty with those who have been in the church most of their life. Is they hear about Jesus and what Jesus has done. And they are like those standing around watching the tightrope walker. Yes, I believe that Jesus is able to do that. This is what the Word of God says. But, I'm not entrusting myself to Him. I'm not relying upon Him to make me holy and righteous before the living God. I am not trusting in the righteous robes of Christ. I'm trusting in what I do, what I can do for myself. After all, I'm a good person. That's what many that have been in the church so long in their life, the default mode of believing things about Jesus... But not trusting Jesus. God has not given the believer what is due to us. Now, just think about mercy and grace. Um, if you look at verse 8, that's what these, the, the, David says the Lord is merciful and gracious. Mercy deals with our misery, grace deals with our guilt. God has dealt with our guilt in Jesus Christ. God has punished our sins in Him. And in exchange, He has given what we do not deserve. He has given to us the righteous robes of Christ by which we stand before a holy God, covered and clothed, and declared not guilty in Jesus Christ as if we had kept all the commandments perfect. Faith united to Jesus Christ receives all of His benefits. Now we are treated, we are looked upon, we are seen in Christ as perfectly righteous in Him. That's how the Father looks upon us. That's grace. That's the wonder of God's grace in Jesus Christ. God withholding the punishment due us and punishing our sins in Jesus Christ. Beloved, He bore the wrath of God. He didn't feel forsaken. He was forsaken. He bore all the depths of the dregs of God's wrath. That's the baptism that He said that He must be baptized with. The baptism of fire. The baptism of judgment. So that He cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken. So that we would not be forsaken. That's what we deserve. We deserve to be forsaken by God. But we didn't get that. We have God dwelling among us. We have the favor and the blessings and the heavenly places bestowed upon us. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at verse 10, this is what's called a Hebrew parallelism synonymous parallelism. It means there are two verses that are basically teaching the same thing, just using other words. Notice, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Well, our sins deserve punishment. Iniquities and sins are similarities. They're synonyms. There's a little bit of difference, but basically referring to the same thing. Our revolting and our rebellion against God. God has not dealt with us in this way. Now what happens to your soul when you begin reflecting upon that? When you begin really examining your heart and realizing that you have broken all of God's commandment. And even as one who is a believer, how often do we truly reflect the honor and the glory and the praise of God? Daily we fall short, don't we? And many times we don't even think about it in our living whether or not is this glorifying to the Lord? Is this exalting the character of our God? Now we, we go along this world and we go nonchalant and we go about our business and we rarely even think about it. Uh, we've become all too accustomed to the grace and the mercy of God. This ought to humble us. God hasn't dealt with us. What, what a wondrous God. You know, so much unlike us, isn't it? Because we're a people of vengeance. We want to get revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. God will repay in a righteous manner. We're we're unrighteous. and We want to strive with vengeance in an unrighteous manner. But God, even while we were enemies... He redeems us from our sin and misery. Beloved, this this ought to excite you to praise of God, to service of God. Love for God ought to grow. When you think of the favor of God, your love for Him and esteem for Him and awe for Him and reverence for Him. It's what we call the fear of the Lord. That ought to grow. God has not punished us according to our iniquities. And notice what he says about the extent of God's forgiveness. For as the heavens are high above the earth. How high are the heavens above the earth? The heavens refer to the sky. Now when the Bible speaks about heavens, it speaks about three heavens. The first heaven is what you can see with the natural eye. When you look out and you see the starry night, and you see the sun, moon, and you see the clouds in the sky, that's what we call the first heavens. The second heavens is that which is beyond that which you are able to see with the naked eye. It expands out into the universe aspects that no naked eye of mankind can see. Even the Hubble telescope it is referred to as that realm where there is the angelic and the demonic realm of battle. The invisible war that goes on. The third heaven is spoken of as the paradise of God. It is where Christ sits right now. He is at the right hand of the Father. That is referred to as the third heaven. For the purposes here this morning, David is referring to the expanse of the skies. And you know there is no bringing together of the earth and the sky. There is a separation between the two. And David says, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so is His mercy towards those who fear Him. God's mercy towards those who fear Him is a great expanse. It can't be calculated. It can't be measured. But notice who His mercy is towards. Not to those who do not fear Him, towards those who fear Him. Now what does it mean to fear the Lord? This can't mean that I'm shaking in my boots, that I'm in fear and trembling of a God of His punishment towards me. This is a believer. This is a believer who has excitement and joy and a comfortableness in the presence of God. This is the fear of God that David is referring to. It is not the the fear of servile fear of punishment, but the familial fear. The fear of adoration that produces worship, it produces obedience, it produces reverence towards our God. This is the one to whom He shows mercy. God's mercy towards us. In other words, He gives us what we don't deserve. Great is His faithfulness, great is His mercy, great is His compassion. It's new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of God. Have you experienced it? Have you experienced the mercy of God? Have you experienced the withholding of your punishment in you and that being imputed to Christ? And so that when you look to the cross, you know that Christ was your substitute? That He bore the burden of your sin? That He bore the burden of God's wrath against your sin? You particular, that Christ died for you? That He had His name on His heart when He suffered the wrath of God? Have you experienced the mercy of God? Now what should that lead you to? It ought to lead you to doxology. It ought to lead you to lift up your voice in prayer and praise to our God. And not to be one who is absenting worship, not to be one who is absenting private worship, not as one who is absenting service of our God, but an excitement, beloved, a joy, an adoration to the God who has redeemed us. As great as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards those who fear Him. And again, here's notice the parallelism. As far as the east is from the west. Well, look, you have the rising of the sun. We call it the rising of the sun. It's not actually rise. But that's what we see as the earth turns. We see the rising of the sun. And the setting down. How far is the rising from the setting down? They never meet. That's the point, isn't it? And so what David says... As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. They never returned to us. You see, we often miss the imagery given in scripture. On the day of atonement, Leviticus 16, you have the high priest and he he slaughters two of the goats. One is for the sprinkling of the blood inside the temple and all the instruments and there is the blood of cleansing. The other goat is the scapegoat. And what is happening is the high priest comes and he pronounces the sins and he lays his hands upon the head of the goat and pronounces the sins of Israel upon that goat. And so, here we have, as a a metaphor, as 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 a symbol of what is happening, is all the sins are then being imputed to that goat. The goat is then taken out into the wilderness, and it's released. Now, what's the point? What does the image show us? The goat can never find its way back to the camp, so that once the goat is released in the wilderness, those sins never return to the people. That's the imagery that is given. You have the fulfillment of that in the Lord Jesus Christ who is the atoning blood and He's our scapegoat as well so that when He is crucified in our place all of our sins are then banished to the wilderness never to return to us again. Beloved, if you're forgiven you are forgiven of all of your sins. God remembers them against you No more. Even as far as the east is from the west, they never come together. If you're going east, you're always going east. If you're going west, you're always going west. The two never again come together. Does that make you sing? God no longer holds my sins against me. Me, the one who has broken all of His commandments, He has banished them into the wilderness, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This deserves hearty thanksgiving and praise and adoration and service and worship and love to the God who has redeemed us, who works even within us and sheds His love abroad in our heart, that by the Holy Spirit we would love this God in a greater measure. We would know Him in a deeper way. We would grow in our adoration of Him, in our desire to worship and to serve Him. Is that a reality in our lives? Is it the hum drum that we go through, or is this working of the Holy Spirit a daily activity? As we are being more and more conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we behold Him as in a mirror, He has removed our transgressions, our revolting, our rebellion. You know, as those who are believers, how often do we rebel? How often do we revolt against God? Well, every day. Every day there is some revolting. Every day there is an act of unbelief. How so? The moment that you do your own thing rather than what God has called you to, that is an act of unbelief. When you walk in obedience, that is an act of faith. That is an act of belief. When you walk in disobedience, it is an act of unbelief towards our God. And yet the Lord has even dealt with those sins. And you ought to not rest in that, saying, well, it doesn't matter. Christ atoned for them all. It doesn't matter how I live. It does matter how you live. Because those who have their sins removed are those who fear the Lord and are those who are born of the Spirit of God. You have a new nature, new desire, new disposition, new love, new affection, new direction, new desires in your life. You're not the same old person. If you are the same old person, and there is absolutely no change in your life, then you are not in Christ, you are still in Adam. You cannot be in Christ And not be a changed individual. If you are in Christ, you are no longer in Adam. You are not that same old individual. Rotten personality. A nasty individual. A vengeful heart. An unforgiving spirit. That is not you if you are in Jesus Christ. Now you are striving to put off the old. As the Holy Spirit works in you. But you are striving. That is a change. You are worshiping the true and living God. You love God. You desire to honor Him. That's altogether new. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Our transgressions have been removed. What, what a wonder. I mean, beloved, we really need to stop and think about this. Uh, putting a law there. Pause and meditate. That God has removed all of your sins. How then should you live your life? Well, the catechism answers that, doesn't it? With a thankful heart. Our response to the mercy, to the grace, to the forgiveness of God is a life of thanksgiving. We're not striving to merit. I'm not striving to keep my, maintain a certain position before God. I have that in Christ. My desire is to be thankful to the God who has purchased me. And to be in wonder, love, and praise, and in awe that he would save me. Me! The one who has broken all of his commandments. God never again brings them up again. Christ has dealt with them once for all time. Beloved, we have truly been set free in Jesus Christ. We will no longer ever come into the courtroom of God and stand before the bar of God's judgment. Christ did that once for all time for his people. David says, as a father pities his children. What father doesn't pity his children? In other words, take compassion upon your children. You see that. Fathers take compassion upon their children. We we see when our children are going astray. You take compassion upon them. You see when they struggle when they're younger. And you take compassion upon them. So the Lord pities those who fear Him. Who? Who? Those who fear Him. Who are those who fear Him? Those that morally reverence God. That worship, honor, glorify, praise, obey the true and living God. These are the ones that fear Him. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Don't fear the one who could kill the body and afterwards do nothing. Fear the one who can kill the body and afterwards cast the soul to hell. Him you shall fear. Fear the Lord. This is a healthy fear. This is a reverential fear. It's a health-promoting fear. Beloved, if we feared God more in this sense, we would fear men less. If we truly feared God in this manner of worship and adoration and service and love and commitment and obedience, we would fear men much less. We would fear what men. We would not fear what men say. We wouldn't fear what men do. Let me give you a a demonstration of that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego—they're cast into the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down and worship me. And they won't do it. So he commands the servants to stoke up the fire seven times hotter than normal. The fire was so hot that even the attendants, when they were taking them up there to throw them in, were consumed by the fire. The men are cast in. The guys who cast them in are consumed. And there they are, three of them, In the fiery furnace. And this is the comment. O King Nebuchadnezzar. Let it be known to you that our God is able to save us. To deliver us from this fire. But if he doesn't. We still will not bow down and worship you. That's fortitude. That's fear. That's obedience. That's reverence. That's love of the God who has redeemed them. And Nebuchadnezzar then says, hey, were there not three that were cast into the fire? I see four walking among them. And one looks like the Son of God. He brings them out. And none of their, the material of their clothing even had a smell of burn from the fire. Because they were preserved by God. These were three young men who had moral fortitude. Who were not going to bow to the the things of men. But were going to stand firm and sure and confident and courageous in their God. They were not presumptuous. They simply did not care. This is wrong. This is right. We will not do that. Do with us what you will. Do we find much of that in our day and age? Do you find much of that in your own life? Beloved, we really need to pray for courage courage to stand up, courage to be bold, courage to be diligent, courage to be compassionate, courage to love, courage of commitment, courage so that you don't fear the things of men. Men will always prattle their mouth. Do what is right. God will deal with the reputation. You don't strive for that. You strive for the character. And that's what the Spirit does through the Word. He builds character, oftentimes, most often, through suffering. God will deal with the reputation. Let that not be the first and foremost that we strive for reputation. Let it be for godly, Christ like character. That we know what's right. We know what's honorable to God. We know what is trustworthy. We know what is true. And we stand upon it. We are not those that are given to the whims. And being pushed around blown to and fro. By every wind of doctrine that comes through this world. We stand upon the truth. And we say it. We speak it. Because we are those who are forgiven. And are pitied by our Heavenly Father. God knows us. God knows our weakness God knows our frame notice our frame Uh, that it's it's dust dust you are and to dust you will return God gives us the things that he calls us to the abilities God strengthens us Uh, again had this conversation this morning it's common to hear this God will not give you more than you can do yes he will He absolutely will, beloved. He absolutely does. He gives you more than you can handle. And then He fills you with His presence and power, doesn't He? And that's what Paul says. When I'm weak, I'm unable. Then that's when His power is made evident through weakness. God enables me with His presence, with His power. Then who gets the glory? God gets the glory. It's not me pulling it up. It's not me strengthening myself. It's the Lord who gives me strength, who enables me to honor and to glorify Him, even through the trials and the fire and the tribulation of this life. He knows. He knows we're weak. I'm weak. I'm frail. I am fragile. Getting more so every day. But as the outward man is perishing, falling to the earth, this inward man is being renewed. Day by day. Growing in grace, growing in knowledge, growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Growth, spiritual growth, Christ-like growth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit within. Beloved, when you take all of that and you begin reflecting upon it, Remember what God has done and now reflect upon it. God has saved us from all of our sins. There is not one sin that I will stand before the Lord and give an account of. Christ has given account of all of our sins. There are rewards given. That is in a whole different context than judicially being forgiven of all of our violations and revolting and rebelling against the commandments of God. Christ has dealt with that once for all. You bear it no more, as the hymn writer said. Praise the Lord, we bear it in my oh no more. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. When you fall down this week, when you fall down today, when you think things that are contrary to the commandments of God, when you say things that are contrary to the commandments of God, when you do things that are contrary, when you struggle against sin, it's a sign of life within. But in all that struggling, beloved, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to make you more and more like Jesus. Repenting, confessing, turning, on, back, and back, and forth, continuing. That's the life of the Christian. You will never be condemned. You will never be cast out of the household of faith. God will never abandon you. He will never orphan you. He will never leave you to your own resources. You belong to Him. And as Jesus said, I will lose none. No one shall snatch my sheep from my hands. This is us. Forgiven, set free, and now being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ day by day, moment by moment, for the glory and praise of God. Reflect upon that and you will be like David. You will go down deep in theology and come up high in doxology. Praise to our God. Amen. Shall we pray?